Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the feature staff at the Columbus Dispatch, this is Life in the 614. Hi, and welcome to Life in the 614, the official lifestyle podcast of the Features Department at the Columbus Dispatch, coming to you every Thursday. If it sounds like fun, we'll be talking about it. I'm Ryan Smith, Features Editor at the Dispatch, and today we'll be speaking with the ever-lively Mo Rocca. You've probably seen him on CBS This Morning and heard him on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Or maybe you first discovered him on The Daily Show. Today, my colleague Nancy Gilson and I will be speaking with him about his latest project, Mobituaries. That's the title of his new book, a collection of sometimes funny, sometimes touching tributes to people or things that, as he put it in the introduction, didn't get the love they deserve the first time around. Mo will appear Saturday, November 23rd, in a Thurber House-sponsored event at the King Arts Complex, but he took some time in advance of his visit to speak with us. Well, I love your book. It's so much fun to read through. I learned so many things that I didn't know about. How did you develop your love for obituaries? Well, it it came from my father. My father used to say, and I, I remember this from a fairly early age, he'd put down the Washington Post and he'd say, the obits is my favorite section of the newspaper. I love the obituaries. And my My father had a real sense of the romance of life, which I'm not trying to be cute there. He really, and because, you know, a good obituary is is about the life of somebody, not really the death of somebody. So I think he, I think he felt, especially with a good obituary, the way I do now, that there's a kind of sweep about it. It's sort of a really well-written one. It feels like the equivalent of a trailer, a movie trailer, Mm -hmm. a preview Mm -hmm. for an Oscar-winning biopic. It has that kind of sweep in romance. Um, And and a a good one can leave you breathless. And then, you know, and then depending on your mood, and if you're a competitive obit reader like I am, (laughs) you can really feel depressed afterwards at how little you've accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. I like how you describe the uh, obituary as an appreciation for someone who didn't get the love she or he deserved the first time around. Can you talk a little bit more about this, what you mean by this, and maybe give some examples? Well, it's sort of four different categories evolved over time. And it, I hate to, it, it sounds like I'm going to pull out a flow chart here instead of with a pointer. <laughs> but, um, the, uh, but I think that the, a variety of lives, of different kinds of lives, interest me. And it seems like there were good reasons to tell all kinds. Um, so, there is, so, sure, there are people like Audrey Hepburn who, through a weird coincidence. In her case, she died on the same day that Bill Clinton was inaugurated. So she was pushed off the front page. And I remember that as a 23-year-old when there were still newspaper kiosks around Manhattan. I remember seeing, looking down, I think it was at a USA Today, and seeing, you know, the, the, the next day how the front page was understandably dominated by Clinton's inaugural. And down in that little you newspaper people know this expression, right? The reefer box. Oh, yeah. It said, uh-huh. right, it said, you know, Audrey 
Audrey Hepburn passes away or something inside, and I thought, what a strange, you know, happenstance that this is somebody who would have gotten much more coverage. And and if you listen to the podcast, and and I put this as well in the book, that I had a chance to ask President Clinton if he was even aware that she died on the same day, and he wasn't, which was kind of wild. Um, So, but what really interested me in Audrey Hepburn beyond that was that I kept seeing her on social media. I keep seeing her on social media. And even though she didn't have a career that was really terribly long, obviously she was a great star, but there were other stars that were bigger than she was. And But Audrey Hepburn has sustained, and she still people still think about her, and, and she still trends on Twitter. So I wanted to, there was a need to explain that, or at least I, I, yeah. I, I saw a need to kind of investigate that. So that's somebody who who is still a, you know, who we still remember, but it's worth exploring because we're still thinking about her. Then there were people who were once wildly famous who disappeared, and Chang and Ang, mm-hmm. uh, the, yeah. the original so-called Siamese twins were that, and Von Meter, the great JFK impersonator whose career died uh, on November 22nd, 1963. And But then I also wanted to talk about what I call forgotten forerunners. People like Elizabeth Jennings, who 101 years before you know Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott um, was kicked off of a streetcar in Manhattan, an African-American woman, and sued in civil court and um, won her case, which led to the integration of mass transit in New York shortly after the Civil War. And then I wanted to do um, people who aren't people. I wanted to do things. So in the book, you'll find my appreciation of the station wagon or a belief, a belief in dragons. You know, these things don't get obituaries. There was, But I found in reading actually a biography of Thomas pain in a one line there was a mention of, of in 1735 that Carl Linnaeus who I remembered from AP bio because I loved <laughs> my taxonomies um, that he went to an ex- exhibition in Hamburg and which was then its own city-state and f- to see this much vaunted seven-headed hydra and said this isn't real and he could see it right away and just like that it spread like wildfire the understanding that dragons you know, and Hydra and their ilk were not real. And yeah, so so that's sort of the range of things that I thought were worth giving an appreciation send off to. Mm-hmm. But my dirty little not so secret is that what I love about this format that I came up with is it's an excuse to talk about anything. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I, I, I really liked the, the Von Meter piece, and then I loved how it segued into the graveyard of disappeared and dead sitcom characters. Oh, good. I'm glad. That was I'm fun. Glad you D- liked just that. talk a little bit about a couple of those. I, I think it was Becky Connor on Roseanne and Chuckle, Chuckles the Clown. I can't see that episode anymore without just like rolling off the couch. It is so funny. <laughs> Oh, it's so great. It's yeah. so great. And and in the book, I also wanted to talk about, um, I mean, in fact, in the second season of the sitcom, um, we're also doing an episode about it as well, is something called The Rural Purge, which I had read about, and it sounded, it, it, of course, you instantly hear rural purge, and you think, <laughs> what is that? And it was in, um, in the early 1970s. A man named Fred Silverman, who's still around, came to CBS and decided that all of the still popular sitcoms, set in 
the in the heartland had to go, largely because he personally hated them. <laughs> he didn't like the Beverly Hillbillies, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, um, <laughs> the, you know, the Glen Campbell Hour, and he, as he put it, whacked the hell out of that schedule, and it led to the golden age of, of Norman Lear's you know groundbreaking sitcom. So it's sort of like you know Petticoat Junction had to die so that Good Times could live. So I mean maybe it was worth it, but um, but so these you know. I mean, I don't know. When I was growing up, I loved the variety pack of cereals. That was my favorite thing, and it was a sort of a treat to be able to get them because some of them were super sugary. But I kind of want the book to feel like the variety pack of history. And, you know, I just, I want, you know, some, there's a, there's like Cocoa Puffs, and then, there, you know, then there's some all brand. Yeah, well, maybe absolutely. not all brand, but, you know. <laughs> well, Mo, I, I was particularly interested in the Ohio and the native Ohioan that you featured, Moses Fleetwood Walker. I spent a number of years up in Toledo and have been to Mud Hens games and seen the plaque outside that honors him. Um, I'm curious, how did you go about finding so many of these different people? I mean, you know, that's a, that was a pretty small thing, that little plaque outside the field for so many years there. How do you discover characters like this? Well, I discover a lot of the characters. I mean, I'm a big presidential history buff. So, for instance, the way that I found Elizabeth Jennings was I was reading a just a, it's a thin little flimsy book of presidential trivia and I love and of course Ohio you guys have like manufacture so many obscure presidents I love it like so many of the guys between Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt with all the facial hair a couple of them were knocked off one by an anarchist one by an aggrieved office seeker but I love like um, so Ohio and, and Ohio has such an amazing state historical society I mean Ohio has a real important place in my heart because Ohio kind of helped get me on TV and 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 I, and I really helped set my career on the path that it's on now. And this is going to be like, I'm going to try to make this not too long a digression because I know you don't have three hours. But when I was in my late 20s, I became really interested in obscure historic sites. I wanted to know kind of who who were the people that were tending, the caretakers of what I called marginalized history sites. You know, because I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I would go to Mount Vernon and Monticello, and I later went to Hyde Park. So those places that honor first-tier presidents you know, you you know why you're there, and and you're impressed before you even walk in. But when I went to the home of President Garfield in Menor, Ohio, or the home of Rutherford B. Hayes, which is known as Spiegel Grove, which is so it's beautiful, beautiful, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the whole thing that porch, I think I. I can almost remember the dimensions. I think it's like 70 feet long and like 12 feet deep. It has this amazing wraparound porch on that house, and it is technically the first presidential museum and library in the country, even though it's not overseen by the National Archives, which officially designates what's a presidential library. But um, but I would, would drive around Ohio on my own ticket. I went and I, I flew actually to Indianapolis because I wanted to see Benjamin Harrison's house on Delaware Avenue there. But then I drove into Ohio, and I went to Marion, Ohio, to the Warren G. Harding House. And as I said, and then I think I saw in Delaware, Ohio, where Rutherford B. Hayes was actually born, which is now a BP gas station, or it was, which I thought was funny because I thought the BP could have stood for birthplace. <laughs> and, uh, and and anyway, and as I said, I went up to Spiegel Grove, and then I went, I'm trying to remember the name of the state of James Garfield in Menor. And I know it's pronounced Menor, so I get points for that, not calling it Menor. Yeah, absolutely. 
um, and I think it was called Lawn Field. I'm, I'm trying to remember that. What was the question? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you come up with all of these great characters oh. who are so hard to, to dig up sometimes. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, Elizabeth Jennings came from a, a presidential trivia book about Chester Allen Arthur, um, and uh, because he had represented her in court. Um, and I think my one of my amazing producers on obituaries suggested Moses Fleetwood Walker. And then there were the book, I uh, One Idea, how did I find this? I think it was inspired by Game of Thrones, was um, the Hadrian's um, um, Wall. Hadrian's oh, Wall oh, oh, yeah. is sort of the first great wall. And then another one of my colleagues here at CBS had suggested the Washingtonian Society, which was sort of the pre-Alcoholics Anonymous, um, the first um, association for um, alcoholics that didn't blame the alcoholic that actually took sympathy that, that that took sympathy on the person struggling with it um so i guess it was i would say through a variety of trivia books through things i've collected along the years that have lodged in my brain and um and through helpful colleagues and friends i just write on scraps of paper so right back up a minute i want to know how your travels in ohio got you on tv so then what happened was I ended up at the um, the Warren G. Harding House in Marion, Ohio, and I remember it was so awesome because the they were so great because the docent there, I just remember because Warren Harding was such a terrible president, that the thing that was so amusing was that the docent would, the whole tour had this tone of like, uh, like, Yes, he was not a great president, but these are the but these are the original andirons in the fireplace. That totally reflects my experience visiting there as well. I don't think things have changed. Yeah, like everything. I think was the guy's name. I wish I could remember. He was a really nice guy. He was sort of like a portly guy with a beard. He was a really good guy, and I, I have it written down somewhere. But I remember everything was like, yes, the Teapot Dome scandal was very bad, but these are Florence Harding's original shoes. Like everything was. <laughs> of like, like yeah, because it is a great house. But anyway, when I was there, that docent, whose name I can't remember, told me about a man named Craig Shermer, who would dress up as Florence Harding to give tours of the Warren G. Harding house. And I remember thinking, well, that's obviously curious. And he, then he said, but no, 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 he's really good. He's so committed to it that it's not like a silly act. Like, people get really into it. And I said, where is this man? And they said, he's He's in Cleveland, Ohio. So I drove to Cleveland because I was going to have to go there because of Menor, Ohio anyway. And I went and I met Craig, who has since passed away. And I interviewed him, you know, ostensibly for a print article, which I couldn't sell. My, I, want, I thought that American Heritage might be interested in, in my travels to obscure presidential sites, and they weren't. But that's how I ended up getting onto The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, oh, is okay. I had collected a bunch of these stories. And I went, and the then-executive producer... A woman, you know, much beloved in comedy named Madeline Smithberg. I showed her pictures of my journeys, and I'd also then tacked on to that a trip to Greenville, Tennessee, to the home of Andrew Johnson, because it was during the Clinton impeachment crisis, and I wanted, I was thinking, how does a town memorialize an impeached president 100 years after the fact? Something like that, like that that idea, you know, thinking that it would make an interest, a fun comic, a comedic piece, the conceit of, oh, what will, you know, if, if Clinton is indeed impeached, or maybe he had already been, what would that mean 
for how his hometown memorializes yeah. him. Andrew Johnson's a clue. So I went with that, but it was a lot of Ohio information. And then the first two pieces I did for the Daily, they hired me. They said, listen, you've never been on TV before, so we'll hire you for two pieces. So I did the Greenville, Tennessee piece, and I did one on the Warren, on the Florence Harding impersonator. And that's what got me on TV and kept me on TV um, because they then signed me after that. And I will point out that Craig was eventually going to become all of Ohio's eight first ladies. I think he did an oh. amazing Lucy Webb Hayes and a Lucretia Garfield. Um, and at the time, Ohio was the leading producer of first ladies in the country. So you guys really, you're pumping them out. Well, you should do an um, obituary on him. You know, uh, well, like, you know what? That's interesting. That's a really interesting idea. And uh, sounds like he died um, too soon. <laughs> right, right. And so, um, yeah. So then, there you go. That's the story of how Ohio brought put me well, on TV. So, so you have obviously you've flourished on TV. I mean, you you would let me make sure if I got this right. You do CBS Sunday Morning. Uh-huh, yeah. You do the Henry Ford's Innovation Nation. My uh-huh. grandmother's ravioli, which I love. Thank you. And then, and I love that. And then NPR, um, wait, wait, don't tell me. Which is all, which is always a lot of fun. Oh, I I love listening to that. So, so have I got them all? And do you have a favorite of one of those? You know, I love them all for different reasons. I CBS Sunday Morning is. I can't overstate how important that's been to me, and how, I mean, to be in a job where, and it sounds so cliche, it doesn't feel like a job where if something, if I'm passionate about something, my boss, my executive producer, who's amazing, will let will indulge that curiosity. I think that's what he looks for, and that's why the show works. He himself, his name is Rand Morrison, and he's from Ohio, right. from Shaker Heights. <laughs> he's from Shaker Heights, um, and he's fantastic. And he has his own. The reason the show works, I think, is he has sort of a sense of wonderment. There's something almost kind of boyish about him. So if you come to him with an idea, if I say. Um, you know, I want to do a piece, and this is in the book, but I actually now made it into a TV piece. <laughs> and so, but I, I said I, w- I wanted to do a mobituary um, on the pre-presidency of Herbert Hoover. I love that one, by the way. <laughs> I didn't oh. know any of that stuff. <laughs> well, it, 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 are you saying, did you, did you in the book or on TV? I'm sorry, in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we ended up, I ended up then, because it worked so well, you know, we could see um, in the book, but thank you, to turn it into a TV piece. And because I could feel it, I could feel the frustration of somebody who, who does everything right and works so hard, and then for circumstances largely beyond his control, mm-hmm. I mean, really largely beyond his control, it's it's eliminated almost it's virtually disappears from public memory and and his life reading about his life is like watching the movie Titanic like you know what's going to happen you know that this ship is going down and it's so it's so painful but i thought i want to i want to I want to imagine if that hadn't happened and what how how he would be remembered and how he was remembered before his presidency um and um and getting back to Sunday morning that's the kind of that kind of conceit is the kind of thing that I'm allowed to explore here and you know oh, I mean anyway so it's so so I that's why I love Sunday morning I love wait wait don't tell me because I think wait wait don't tell me made me learn to feel more comfortable with 
helped me find my voice and made me learn to feel more comfortable with how I sound and my own and and my own sense of humor. When I was first on the show, I was trying. I was I was I think putting on some kind of persona. I was being too arch because I thought that's what I should do. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of let go and learned. And, and just said, you know what, I'm just going to sound like myself. So I'm, I love doing the show. Also, because all the panelists, we all come from different places. I think it's, it's hard to compare it to another show. It's, but I think because Roy Blunt is a Southern writer, Roxanne Roberts mm-hmm. is a columnist mm-hmm. for the Washington Post. Paula is a fantastic stand-up comedian. You know, P.G. O'Rourke is one of the great wits. But we all come from different places, so it makes it more interesting and fun. Yeah, I bet that's a blast to uh, record that. I bet that's really fun. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So, so do you have a lot more obituaries to write? Is there going to be a second book? Well, it depends how well this one does. I uh-huh. mean, there are certain there are certain things I definitely want to do. I want to do. Um, I would love to do Nellie Bly. I think hers is a great story, and that's one that I I didn't get to this time around. Another one that I'd love to do is for a forgotten forerunner is Bishop John Hughes. I, there's it's kind of it's John Hughes. If you say John Hughes, people think you're talking about the film director. Mm-hmm. But Bishop John Hughes, who built St. Patrick's Cathedral, who sort of ordered it, is this fascinating figure, this firebrand who was a hero to Irish, poor Irish immigrants in the 19th century in New York and who kind of fought for their rights. So that's, that's a kind of history that you don't hear a lot. I mean, there's just a, boy, there's, there's a whole bunch of things I'd love to get to. Cool. So what would you want your obituary to say? I'd like the first line to be Moraka, comma, who made people interested in things they didn't expect to be interested in, comma, died today. He was 135. <laughs> that's but that's great. really, that's yeah. Great. That's great. Yeah. And I'd like, the, I'd like the headline to just be, no mo. No mo. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Well, you know, there was a woman here who I think you should go travel with, Sarah Vowell, if you haven't oh, yeah, gone yeah. on tour with her. She, she's kind of like your kindred spirit in the history department, so... Well, that's great. And was she, she was speaking in Columbus? Yes, uh-huh. she was just here. But I've, I've liked her books a lot, too. But she, a lot of what you do reminds me of her passion for, she's, for she's weird history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, long ago, I, I actually, I think it was in USA Today, there was, a, remember they used to have those little, kind of those little, they'd either be bar graphs or pie charts or whatever. And they it, it said in one of these little illustrations or something that Columbus had America's fastest talkers. So um, I hope I haven't spoken too slowly for you guys. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty good. Ryan, do you have any other questions? No, I'm good. good. I just wanted We're to good. thank you so much for joining yeah. us. This was really fun. It was fun to read your uh, your books. I, you know, related and enjoyed a lot of them. I wrote a lot of obituaries early in my ah. career. So, uh, you know, they weren't quite of the obituary variety, but I was certainly able to enjoy. Yeah. You should think about going to ObitCon, which I went to a few weeks oh ago. Oh, my goodness. I did not know there was an ObitCon. Yeah, you know, I have to say it was really fun. Oh, where, where is ObitCon and who runs it? it? It's every two years, and Adam Bernstein, who is terrific, because, you know, the Washington Post now uh-huh. has a really beefed-up Obit department, and he, I, I think he runs it, or it, it was in D.C. this year. It's only uh, every two years, but there are, it's not huge, but there are, there were at least two writers I met there 
Jessica were such amazing characters. One, what is Kay's last name? She was the obit writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She's sort of a just now, but what a wit. And then another guy, and I wish I could remember his name. I'm about to look go through the tape, and so I'll be reminded who was for the New Orleans Times-Picayune. And I just, I cannot tell you, it was, if a young person starting out in newspapers, if they went to this, they would say, you know what, I'm going to be an obituary writer yeah. because it, I don't know, it's it's, it's a great beat, right? And right. I, I mean, I did it early in my newspaper career. Ah. I loved it. I loved it. You know, the, except when it was too, super sad, that was not good. But Of course. Other than that. But people like to share the lives of their Absolutely. loved ones, and you always yeah. find these wonderful nuggets. I mean, everyone has a story worth telling. I mean, that's what journalism is all about. And this is just, a, you know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Well, you know, and, and uh, Marguerite Fox, who wrote obits for the Times, for the New York Times, and now she's re- she's retired, but she said um, one of the things that they would also, you know, uh, uh, paid death notices. I've been t- admonished from ever calling them paid obits or paid death notices, but yeah. that, but that that sort of it sounds like sort of the slush pile in that you know you can go through those and find some really Absolutely. interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was a, I don't know if you ever saw this one, there was a guy in Ohio who died, and um, his obit, what did it, it said he was a Cleveland Browns fan, and so he asked for Cleveland Browns um, players to, like, come to his funeral so that they could take his casket and let him down one more time. Oh. <laughs> That's hysterical. It was a great story. It was a great story, and it was in his obituary. So. Oh, I love that. Anyway, yeah. Hey, thank you so much for your time and for talking to us. And you've just been a blast. And thank you, Nancy and Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. All right, thank well, you so day. much. You too. Bye. Thanks, guys. All right, bye. bye, bye. And thank you all for listening to Life in the Six One Four. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, keep enjoying your own life in the Six One Four. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.